It's not a dig. Started to do it. I've hit the record button, so we can. Oh, okay. Well, we can start up any, any way we want to. I like um, Ben. This is his band. I feel like he should leave us in. I mean, yeah. this is a. I, I don't really have a cool ass intro for this, but uh, it's, you know, Society Dwelling Motherfucking Berserkers and all that bullshit. Um, it's one of the few bands that I used to have a tattoo of Black Label Society. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're doing a. Here on Thunderdome Metal Reviews, the Church of Heavy Metal. Doing a discography blast on Zach Wilde's pet project, one of his many pet projects, I might add, Black Label Society. I mean, could you even call it a pet project at this point? Um, sort of the project. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, it probably is the project, but I mean, you know, it's a dude who slid into the main guitarist role for Ozzy Osbourne in 1988 when he was mm -hmm. 18 years mm -hmm. old, and he did like a solo album of acoustic stuff, or mostly acoustic stuff, and with Book of Shadows in the early 90s, and then he moved on to a Southern Rock thing with Pride and Glory in 1994, and then he decided, you know what? Ozzy just has some shit that's not heavy enough, and did the Black Label thing. Yeah. So, I mean, he's been a very perfect motherfucker. And he I, has. I think he yes. kind of skipped his joy, uh, Pride and Glory there. No, I mentioned it. Oh. I want to point out to all 26 of our listeners, mostly who are in Estonia, <laughs> <laughs> that we are actually in the same room for the first time, well, ever. Actually. Yeah, ever for recording. For recording, it's been... I mean, not in our lives. We've been in the same room before. But I for think... recording, this is it, y'all. Well, I think it's been since we got Mexican back in, like, September, since we all got in a room together. Like, we just started the podcast, and we yeah. got we, we got together to eat lunch. I think it's the last are. time all three of us... Here we are. Ben is down from... He's a refugee who has escaped Wisconsin. I have. The uh, Rona was kicking everybody's ass. And I was like, I got to get out. Um, so I came down to Kentucky where for once they were handling more sanely than indeed. We got Daddy up. Andy. Daddy Andy taking care of us. Mm -hmm. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about this uh, run of albums, excluding the second one. The first one, Sonic Brew, the one that got their ass sued by Johnny Walker because they, uh, for copyright <laughs> infringement of their label, Released on May 4th of 1999 on Spitfire Records, has a runtime of 55 minutes and 13 seconds. The producers for this album are Ron Albert, Howard Albert, and Zach Wilde. The recording on this is Zach Wilde on vocals, guitars, bass, and piano. Phil Omdick on drums, and Mike Inez comes in and plays bass on the cover of No More Tears, which is a song that... Zach at least co-wrote for Ozzy on the No More Tears album. I didn't know he co-wrote it, and I got—I mm -hmm. thought I did think when I heard it, I'm like, hmm, of course he knows how to play this fucking song. He's been doing it live for how many years? Uh, quite so, a few at that point. Uh, I didn't—I thought that was one of the songs that came out with Randy Rhodes, not. No, no, no. It was a, uh, um, uh, I guess the 1990 album, 1991. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't remember when that Ozzy album came out. But anyway. But now you mentioned it. It does have a lot of the familiar markings of a Zach Wilde written song and piece in it. So, yeah, man, I, I got this. Like I said, I I was on to the Black Label Society train really early, so um, I want to hear what you guys think. I was not on that train. I knew it was a thing. I knew Zach Wilde was a thing because of Ozzy and Aqua Team Hunger Force. <laughs> we were talking about it earlier, uh, and I and I was pre-programmed to. I don't know why I never got into it. I guess just there's so much metal in the world. Yeah. But once I started listening to it because it was my homework, I was like, shit, this is good. I mean, one, it's Zach fucking wild in terms of how good he is. Two, I love Corrosion and Conformity and Clutch. Yep. Yeah. 
Right, so I'm already sort of... Uh, it's definitely basking that southern groove metal. Absolutely. So I, it was a pre-existing condition for yeah. me. So I, I, while I don't feel as possessed by This Is Paradise Lost, because we had a list of four albums and not 40 albums, <laughs> um, no, I've enjoyed this. Yeah, and it's, it's been a while since I've heard a band that was this good that I had no idea. Like, Paradise Lost I knew was good because yeah. I liked Icon and I had Draconian Times, but this... Yeah, I'd never heard any of these albums prior to this blast. So. Well, we had done the... Is Mafia. it Fired Up? Is that yeah, the name Mafia. of that album? Mafia. Mm-hmm. We'd done Mafia early on in our early days of the podcast. And I'd previously heard that Guitar Hero is really what turned me on to Zach Wilde. And that Fired Up was on there, so I went to Mafia. And actually, in one of the later albums we're going to talk about, I actually acquired when it first came out and so and was to it some and so that's kind of was the ones that i was hearing from there but i never really did oh wow <laughs> i'm showing tracy the album cover that got their ass sued oh my god i remember that album cover yeah. actually i remember yeah. looking at it i was like oh this looks like, like a johnny walker bottle <laughs> so <laughs> that's what their lawyers thought too he's like wait a minute that looks awfully familiar you can change it or pay us a lot of fucking money <laughs> yeah I was I've been familiar with these guys for a little bit, and I kind of listened to bits and pieces of Black Label, but I never had fully dove into them like we did for this, and so this has definitely been a fun experience. No, I think so. I mean, I I'm in the bag for this, obviously, since I chose this to do a blast of it. I mean, spoiler alert, guys, I don't think we're going to choose to do blasts of people that we think suck. Um, I'm not that much of a masochist, um, but yeah. Well, let's rephrase that. I think I might end up doing a blast. You guys like, God damn it, Tracy. More well, fucking frog. Dancing, dancing five, four times. <laughs> 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 right. Right. Here is the worst album by your favorite band. Dancing Devil Five, Devil, Devil Driver's Country album. And, <laughs> that heavy metal. And Dancing's covers of Elvis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but we're talking about Black Label Society. Yeah, yeah this album, uh, Tracy was saying before we started recording, because we're dumb. That apparently the producer just went into the studio, did an j- enormous line of coke, and just turned up every single channel to eleven. Yeah, like it, you can definitely tell. Like it sounds like they're like, let's make it as loud as we fucking can. And <laughs> yeah, just no, eleven. Oh shit! This is a dude who'd like. Well, this came out in '99, so for eleven years he'd been standing in front of a fucking Marshall amp playing <laughs> Black Sabbath and Ozzy songs. So yeah, yes. So yeah, I mean, uh, and I feel like this, there's more control maybe in the later albums, but this uh, album literally he's <laughs> just throat punching you. Yeah, and and this album, I would say, you definitely hear the influences and on they wear them on their sleeves. And this, there were times I was catching mm. um, Nativity in Black from Black Sabbath. Mm. There's a couple other. I caught a bit of an Alice in Chains, some yep. uh, Black Hole Sun. Like you're getting these definitely influences that they have are showing up in their writing that's one thing he doesn't necessarily do it here um but zach has always been pretty good because and zach also was incredibly smart because he has commercialized the shit out of this as far as merchandising Mm -hmm. and stuff like that goes i mean in 99 i was super into it like the whole biker aesthetic thing that he was pulling off with like all the patches and the berserker society dweller motherfuckers all this other (laughs) shit and the back patch now I look on it kind of like I look at Kiss and all the stuff they do. But one thing that I will say about Zach is that he always talks about the other players and musicians. You know, he'll, he'll talk about when he talks about Ozzy, it's like Father Ozzy or, you know, Father um, Eddie Van Halen and all these other stuff. He uses, because he's Catholic, he was raised Catholic, so he uses mm-hmm. a lot of Catholic church terminology like this is the cardinal and this is the bishop and blah 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 and all this stuff yeah but he's always been very good about 
accrediting these influences. And it's not surprising that he has all of them because, I mean, this dude has, you know, he's one of the true road warriors in metal because of all the time he's been playing with Ozzy and all those, all those Ozfests or he would pull double duty, not only playing for Ozzy, but then also playing at Black Label Society. He's been in all kinds of other bands videos. Yeah. He did a uh, solo for Soil on Halo, which was fucking He actually, he did the solo on it? I think so. Yeah, I think mean, so. Um, He's been on everybody's shit. Like, yeah, he's, yeah. It, he's prolific, as you said. Yeah, and he's he's got a, his hand in quite a bit of different cookie jars. Well, I mean, you know, and he's just been around those guys. He's one of the few guys, you know, that can sit down and talk to Kerry King and Phil Anselmo about, you know, oh, when they were talking about doing a Pantera thing, you know, as we talked yeah. about the tribute that he did to Dime after Dime died. You know, he was one of the guys that was like, we would be cool if Zach took Dime's place in a reboot. Of course, it never happened. Yeah, I um, mean it never will, yeah. but you know that's how respected he is amongst the great yeah. community. And, I mean, and that's something like you'll hear some fans kind of rag on him about his singing style or guitar, or his, you'll hear some fans kind of rag on him about his singing style or like oh Zach Wilds and everything. But you don't ever hear another fellow artist say a bad crossword about Zach Wild. Like, I'm sure there's some, but I haven't seen it at least, and so I mean, seems like he's a pretty stand-up fellow like that. But he's only put in the work. Yeah, yeah. in terms of I the, mean. Service to the field. There's a there's an academics. There's a there's a very hard work attitude for him. Mm -hmm. It's actually amazing for him to have been as prolific as he was. Because as you'll see, these albums, these four albums, you know, and we're leaving one out, all come out within like a year of each other. Or you know, nuts. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about this particular album, the sound. Because I, I do kind of agree with Tracy that it was turned up to 11, but it comes out of the gate really strong with really crushed riffs. And I think that's one of Zach's strong points, if you'll hear us, or at least me say, on these albums over and over again. It's just a, the riff writing. You can tell that he's a guitarist first, though I do think he has a really good um, sense of song structure and putting a lot of these together. But the riffs on this album are just, man. And, and then some screaming guitar parts, too. Not just solos, but like little accessory pieces that are intros and things like that. Mm -hmm. One thing that really stuck out to me in this album is that the the uh, and you notice it right from the first track is that the bass sound in it has this very like loose, nasty, kind of like sloppy quality. Well, I'm not saying that in a bad way, but it has this very like when you hear it, you imagine the strings just being loose and just vibrating like you get that very sloppy bass sound coming from them which I think really does a great job for this album and adds a very distinct heaviness to it that it kind of pulls some weight and gravitas towards it and just that I think adds a whole definition I think I noticed in uh, Mafia it was kind of there too like they have a very high tuned bass in their albums was this the first album you heard Ben um, of Black Label Yes. Yeah, yeah it was. From, so from the very beginning. Yeah. So you got to ride this ride from the get-go and... Uh, a little bit before, but like I said, I got on um, with Book of Shadows and then Pride and Glory. So, or whichever one came first. Pride and Glory might have came before Book of Shadows. Yeah, but those are both different beasts comparatively to this. They are, but you can kind of see, because I mean, there's actually one of these is uh, on... Book of Shadows, or at least it might be on the special edition on the tracks here, and we'll talk about that when we talk about tracks. But yeah, you know, I had for a long time, Zach was my favorite guitarist. And I mean, it was, you know, it was kind of after 
the dudes in Slayer had been my favorite guitarist, and then Don was my favorite guitarist, and moving to the end of the decade, Zach became because, and I've gotten a chance to see all those guys, and plus some other guitar heavyweights live, but Zach's right hand always impressed the shit out of me, just the, the way that he picked, um, and his control of that on that end of the guitar really amazed me. So when I when I heard this, especially when I heard the opening track, and I don't remember how I heard it, I don't remember if I was in like a disc jockey or whatever, and like did the scanner thing and it played a couple of like 30 seconds of some of the tracks or what but when I heard that opening track I was like fuck this is heavy um and it was just so yeah it's heavier than I was expecting yeah <clears throat> cause I'd heard Pride and Glory yeah you know and the Aussie stuff so this is heavier than that alright so do we want to transition to tracks you can, you can. I don't think there are any bad ones. I'm going to put that out there now. Because this is one of the few bands I have to say where their slow tracks are as... Their sort of melodic ballad, pull your lighter out tracks are as good as their heavier, faster tracks. And there's a lot of bands, I think you need that palate cleanser. I get it. But I mean, they're just... Like, I know I'm getting ahead of myself. Blessed Hellride is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those sort of like, all right, let's pause for a second, slow tempo down. Um... You know, when I listen because I listened to these four albums over and over and over, sort of right in a row. I didn't skip any of those songs. Yeah. I know this is supposed to be Ben's line, but I mean, uh, <laughs> it just—he's so good at songwriting. Yeah. And, I, I will say one thing: I did kind of about this album. I, I noticed some of them. There's just so many songs on these albums, and they are—I don't say they're long, but they do kind of start to run together at times. But then, I mean, they're not bad. It's just like, <laughs> and where are we at in this album? And you're like, oh, I've still got five more songs to go. It just, but. He's prolific. Like yeah. you said, he just cranks it out. So he can write riffs like almost nobody else. The yeah. riffs on this album. I mean, it opens... Board to Tears is amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I do remember reading an, review, uh, an article one time of an interview with him. And he's like, you know, it's a crazy thing going to the studio. And there's been times they said, hey, we need you to extend the solo by eight seconds. And he's like, you'd never get to do that in albums. And I fucking am ecstatic when I get to do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... Specific tracks. I'm not going to say, honestly, even though it is supposed to be my line, there there are a couple of tracks on this album that I don't think are all that great. And out of all of these, I love Board of Tears. It's fucking amazing. Um, Peddler of Death is a good song, but I actually like the other version of it better, which is stripped down and more acoustic and mm -hmm. doesn't have like the mm -hmm. guitar, the, the, the sweeps and everything in it. Um, but... Spoken the Wheel as like the ballad on this. Um, holy fuck. I mean, it's not only is it completely different than the rest of the album, but it's actually a very incredibly well written song yes. that kind of rips your heart out. Black Pearl, Lost My Better Half at the beginning at last, TAZ. Um, yeah, this is just a really strong album, especially for a first album, which in some ways I think is kind of unfair to call this somebody's first album considering he'd been touring for 11 years. and recorded like four other albums that I can think he's of. He's definitely got the experience on his belt. It's not, he knows what's going on in yeah, yeah, He's not like, yeah. oh, fuck. And he didn't have it for like, you know, here's your recording studio for a week and hope you get it all done in time. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I don't know how long it took him to record this. So he might have had that. But I mean, he, he had the experience and discipline of going in and doing it multiple times by this point. By, you know, because the thing about it is one of the great benefits I think that he had of, of being Ozzy's guitarist is not only being around Ozzy and the other guys, because it's not like Ozzy ever has shitty backup musicians. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that he got to hang out with Lemmy, because Lemmy is a co-writer with Ozzy a lot. So, I mean, mm -hmm. he's hanging out with the dudes from Motorhead, too. 
And I'm talking about dudes who are professionals, and yeah, they like to drink and party and everything, but when it comes time to get in the studio and knock something out, they don't fucking waste a lot of time. No. You can't when you're putting an album a year for six years straight. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> Which I love the bands I love, Slayer, Fear Factory, but they do not put out. They did not no. put out an album a year. Outside of like their first two albums, Romshine, like none of. I mean, five year gaps, six year gaps. I think part of that too, and one of the things that is kind of amazing about this, and probably works in his favor, he is Black Label. They're mm-hmm. Indeed, I mean, like on the first album, there's. He brings in Philon Dick for drums because apparently he can't be bothered to learn drums, but he plays everything else except for Mike Ines, who I think also might be a co-writer for that song. And he's like, hey, Mike, you know, we got a day off a tour and come in and record the bass line for this song that you already play all the damn time. So, yeah. So that gives him a whole lot more uh, control of I mean, the songwriting process. You're than, not, I mean, if you're recording, doing everything but the drums... You're not waiting on somebody, I guess, who's in a shitty mood and don't feel like doing it today. Like, you're it. I mean, yep. you go as fast as you want to or as slow as you want to at that point. Mm-hmm. That's very true. All right. Anything else on this album before we move on? No, sir. Cool. We will go to the third album, 1919 Eternal, which he wrote for his dad, who was a... I'm not sure whether he was a World War One veteran, but I, he was either a World War One or a World War II veteran. Uh, came out on... March 5th of 2002, also on Spitfire Records, has a 60-minute and 8-second runtime, produced by Zach Wilde. The artwork is based on a Nazi propaganda poster, which used to recruit Dutchmen into the SS, so that's kind of, well, it is what it is. Um, the pro, uh, personnel on this are Zach Wilde, vocals, guitar, and bass. Robert Trujillo comes in and plays bass on Demise of Sanity and Life, Death, Blood, Doom. Craig Moonenmacher plays drums, except for on Bleed For Me, Demise of Sanity, and Life, Death, Blood, Drum, in which Kristen Weir plays drums. I think your assertion that it's not just yours, that the third album is a charm, definitely holds here. Yeah. Not to give it away. And part of it is this is the first album I started with. I don't know why. I think I just looked at the cover art and was like, ooh, horrible propaganda. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Genocide Junkies signed me up. Uh, but this album is... Uh, of the four you had me listen to, this one is probably my favorite. I mean, it's like I asked when I was looking at it, I'm like, oh, hey, David, which you prefer, Genocide Junkies or Mass Murder Machine? It's both right up your alley. It's Genocide Junkies, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the production's cleaned up a tiny bit. They turned the all the channels down to nine and a half. No, but I think that restraint helps a little bit. Yes. They sort of eased off a little bit. The songwriting, again, is fucking amazing. The riffs are amazing. I mean, this... You know, I would have been satisfied if this had been the end of it, but they put out 30 albums after this. But yeah, this, um, well, yeah, this, this, this definitely, I feel, holds to the third album pattern. And I'd say this is a pretty good, you know, one, two, three arc between uh, Sonic Brew, Mafia, and then 1919 or Eternals, a pretty solid mm. one, two, three. Uh, for opening career, or not opening career, but opening band tracks or albums. Does a real job, and this is a nice you know, cap to them all. I, I agree with David in this part before the horse that this album is probably their best overall. Um, I think they're, I don't think quite as many, like, you know, singles as opposed to some of their later albums did, but I do think this one is just much rounder, overall better around overall album. Well, I, I want to point out that Mafia is their sixth studio album. so It's it was, their sixth? Yes. 
Um, and so we skipped their second, which is Stronger Than Death. I thought that Stronger was, Than Death. I thought, the, I thought Mafia was their second. No, it's <laughs> later. It's like 2005, I think. Yeah, it's 2005. Yeah. Uh, so he released an, an album a year from 1999 to 2006. Yeah. Well, my headcanon was like, Mafia is the second album. <laughs> no, no, sorry. <laughs> Um, yes, no, I, I agree. I think this is a very, um, I think that probably, well, maybe intentionally since he, he kind of wrote this as a concept album to his father's veteran experience, um, that there is a cohesiveness to this album that really holds it together in a way that some of the other albums don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can say that that perhaps there's too much of it if you wanted to be overly critical because like you said there's a song on here called Genocide Junkies and one called Mass Murder Machine so you might say that he's tapping the um, well one too many times or that and there's other songs on here that, that uh, touch on some of the same subject matter I'm not one of those people I think that this is one of the, the most cohesive albums that he released and, as a historian of the 20th century I don't think it's possible uh, yes. to overemphasize what he's emphasizing here yeah no, I don't think you can. And yeah, most cohesive. I'd say almost maybe with one of the later albums we're going to do might be a little more cohesive stylistically, but that one's just much more in a different vein of music than this one is. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the craziest choice on here is him deciding to end the album with a acoustic cover of America the Beautiful. Indeed. Yeah, which this came out for 2011, so, or 9-11, so surely they're after it's like six months. So that's probably why it was included, or to some extent. I think also around this time, because Zach Wilde had so much free time on his hands, he was also writing music for ESPN's baseball show. So I think it was just, you know... Wow. Yeah. That is too much free time on his hands. <laughs> I, I guess so. Write me a theme song of my life, Zach Wilde. We can give you something to write about. <laughs> and at least he's not going to beat us up like Glenn Danzig or the guitarist <laughs> of Scar Cemetery. Not yet, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. The podcast is not over. <laughs> two more albums after this one. Yeah, this album's really good. It is Notice. indeed. Um, um, I think that the riffage on this album is actually stronger than on Sonic Brew. I do too. But it's also much more diversified. Yeah. Yes, I think it's a better album. Uh, yeah. And you kind of, I think it might be due. You have a few more, I should say, uh, chefs in the kitchen at this point with the people participating in it while with Sonic Brew it was hey Zach Wilde you can go crazy and do whatever the fuck you want and you got a drummer here helping you along with it so like you do kind of have like a little more people in there a little more things in there like ideas and thoughts kind of maybe mixing in with it uh, maybe I mean I don't think that anybody has writing credits except him but yeah. I mean he at least was, did have a bassist uh, come in and, and help out with some stuff so I mean yeah. probably some more discussions yeah and he was like hey man what do you think of this or just even not even if it's about like writing credit just kind of like oh, was there something you're like hey maybe we could do you know a little deedly deedly here instead of <laughs> a little deedly deedly here <laughs> yeah that's true that's true so maybe that that's kind of where you kind of see this um, I don't want to say difference but a little more yeah, a little bit of difference compared to the first album. Yeah. Songs? Sure. Um, I'll go ahead and go first. I mean, I think this opens incredibly well with Bleed for me. Um, honestly, this is the album that I'm going to go all of these, because there's not one on here that I don't like. Uh, Lord of Destruction, Demise of Sanity, Life, Birth, Blood, Doom, Bridge to Cross, which is the nominal 
Um, the ballad on the album was also incredibly good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ones that we've already mentioned, uh, Genocide Junkies, uh, Mass Murder Machines, Berserkers, I mean, fuck, every, every track on here, just shortly, uh, fuck it, every track on here is really good. And even though there is some thematic consistency, there is enough difference from track to track that that thematic consistency is a bonus, not a hindrance. Uh, for me, the three tracks that really stood out to me was, um, and granted, all these tracks are great in this album, and it's probably its most consistent consistent album, I think, of his, of the four we're doing, quality-wise, in the albums, but I think probably Graveyard Disciples, Bleed For Me, and Refuse About Down are the three that really stuck out to me. I mean, I, I think this is a kind of I Like Them All album. And I know that's sort of a cop-out, but this album is so good. It's so good. And, you know, after I'd listened to all of them a few times, this is the one I would always start with. Mm-hmm. Like, I would just sort of start with this and loop through. So, yeah, the whole arc from Bleed for me through Life, Birth, Blood, Doom, and then that sort of section from Speedball, Graveyard, Genocide Junkies, like, it really picks up again through Mass Murder Machine. It's, <laughs> it's just a good album. And America the Beautiful is just... Uh, it really shows his, his chops. Yeah, it does. Right. It does. <laughs> sort of haunting and very sparse and it's sounds good and i don't think you know i yes the cover i recognize that dutch recruitment poster from the ss or whatever but it's not laudatory so no no, it's this is not a pro-war album no and as far as his dad his dad had to be what world war ii korea age-wise it just doesn't track for him i don't know unless his dad was just like super old when they had him so i mean because he's he's essentially um I guess he's like seven years older than us, mm-hmm. so eight years older than you, but yeah. So, I mean, I it's, it's, it's possible that he, his yeah. dad could have well, been a World War I veteran, but I'm guessing it's World War II. Yeah. Especially considering the trash. It's just the 1919 Eternal is kind of... Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Or maybe that's when his dad was born? Could be. That might be it, too. Because so. that would put him at... It was quite a year. 25 at the, or 26 at the end of the war, so, I mean, that's... Yeah. Prime drafting age for that, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure that's all Googleable stuff, but I did not Google it, so. It's a good album, y'all. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So now we go to their fourth album, also on Spitfire Records, released on April 22nd of 2003. The Blessed Hell Ride, also produced by Zach Wilde. That's a runtime of 45 minutes and two seconds, so it's a little bit shorter than the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not hurt by being shorter. I will say that. No. As a <clears throat> well, like Sonic Brew came in like an hour and ten minutes, something like that. Um, it was fifty-five minutes, and nineteen nineteen Eternal was sixty minutes. Um, right now, it's it's effectively just like I said, it's his baby. Yeah. yeah. Thoughts on this one? Guys? This one, I think, is his most. I guess you can say single-friendly album. Like this is the one where a lot more songs stick out than the others individually. Uh, I don't think it's as tight as 1919 was as a whole. I think there was some, but you can definitely tell that, like, there are, like, still warning, like, just to even kind of, like, that song there with Ozzy, just to like, really encapsulate, I guess, and kind of, like, the idea and identity of this album, in a sense, of, like, just the focus and singular kind of, like, outlook on it. I think the Blessed Hell Ride is one of the best ballad tracks he's done. That song is, I know I've mentioned this like three times, but it's so good. And, and I agree with you that while it doesn't cohere as well as 1919 Eternal, like Stoned and Drunk, Stillborn, Blessed Hellride, in terms of singles, this yeah. album is. Yeah, it's there. 
it's definitely in there and there were a couple more tracks on this one it's like eh, I, I can take these or leave mm. them like this is an album I'm more likely going to pull song tracks off mm. nothing against this album but it's more of like these if I'm going to listen to it I'm listening to it for these particular tracks not for everything else but those tracks are so good yeah the production's even slightly better and just he's really and yeah. Did he produce any other albums? Was, is this when he first started producing albums, or did he release any others behind him? I, that I don't know. But I, you, I, I think you can tell that as each album has progressed, you know, as we've gone deeper into the discography, that he has become a better producer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think that, that the, the comment that the production is better on each album is, is straight up, and whether he's doing other production or if he's just producing his own stuff, I can't. Yeah, yeah, I don't know for sure, but even so, he he is definitely. Yeah, it just seems like more experience behind the wheels kind of thing going on mm-hmm. with it. Um, in, in this album, we get a little bit more into the whole biker mm-hmm. Zach thing. For sure. I mean, the album cover is a a V twin engine, so mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, it is what it is on that track. But man, um, I don't think that this is as good an album from bell to bell. Uh, opening to closing track as 1919 Eternal, but I will say that the stuff that, as you said, the singles off of this are really damn good. Yeah. Like, it's that, for me, it's kind of like this argument of like for Tool, Water Wallace versus Anima, which Anima is always the one that has the better highs, but also has the worst tracks on it. While Lateralis is always kind of like the more consistent, better overall album. It's kind of like the, give another example of why my mind yeah. is on it. Cool. Tracks? Yeah. Several. <laughs> Several. As I said, Stone and Drunk is a good single. Doomsday Jesus, Stillborn, Blessed Hell Ride. I really do like Funeral Bell, Final Solution. The end drags a little bit to me on this album, but that first sort of 60% of it is fantastic. Yeah. And uh, David mentioned pretty much everyone I had on there. Um, we overlap almost exactly on that. No, I agree with that. I think like the first six. And I said I like Final Solution. I don't think it's quite as good as the tracks that were in front of it. Um, it's really strong. I do think Dead Meadows is a mm-hmm. good closer. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Destruction Overdive, Blackened Waters, and We Live in the Morgue. They're all right, yeah, but not terrible, but also not great. So I completely agree with that. And so on to the last one that we're going to discuss tonight. Which is the the most not like the others. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, released on April 20th of 2004, Hangover Music Volume 6, the fifth studio album. Yeah. Also on Spitfire Records, also produced by Zach Wilde. Mm. Has a yeah. runtime of 66 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, this is going to take a little bit. Not that there's a whole lot more musicians on there, although compared to the other albums that were, it's mm-hmm. just the, the way that it came together. So, Zach Wilde, vocals, guitar, bass on No Other. Craig Newenmacher on drums for most of the album. John Tempesta comes in and plays drums, mm-hmm. on, drums on Once More. And then we get into the bass. <laughs> so, James Lomenzo comes in and plays bass on Stepping Stone, Yesterday, Today, Tomorrow, Won't Find It Here, She Deserves a Free Ride, and House of Doom. John DeServio plays bass on Queen of Sorrow, Damage is Done, Lane, and Once More. And Mike Ines plays bass on Crazy or High. So he did like bring in three different bass players to, to play on these tracks. And that's an interesting Change. thing. I don't know why that was. Um, I'm yeah. not sure. I don't know if it was just availability. Um, if he just liked the different vibe that they brought in for different songs. Mm-hmm. Because this is, this is almost so eclectic that it makes its own... 
coherent in these songs. Yeah, agreed. This is definitely almost, I think, the more... If not, I would say softer overall, but if not just pure softer, just much more southern groovy. Or southern groove metal. Like, I kind of get more of a 70s hard rock, southern hard rock vibe from it. Less more, less Black Sabbath. This is definitely the least heavy metal of this, the albums that we're looking at. In which, thinking about, you know, hangover music, like, of course, compared to albums, this is the album I'd want to listen to if I was going over, as opposed to the other ones, because that'd be maybe a little too much noise. I, it is by far the least metal and the least Sabbath of these four albums, and I think any of the albums he's put out. But as I was saying to you all earlier, it is so listenable. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you can tell this band really sort of won me over. Well, my band, I mean, Zach Wild. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's so listenable in a way that just, you know, reminds me, you mentioned earlier, like Black Hole Sun, some of mm-hmm. that Soundgarden kind of stuff. It's just... I think some of his best music is the down-tempo, more yeah. acoustic stuff. And that's not always how I feel. I actually met a lot of bands I like when they have an acoustic version. I'm not ideologically opposed, but they're usually not very good. But his, I mean, he, you know, yeah, he's I, good. He is very good. I think that there is something, and I can't say exactly what headspace he was in when they recorded this, mm-hmm. but I think the choice of... The album title, Hangover Music, Volume 6, which is funny that it's Volume 6. I don't know why it's Volume 6, but it could be like The Adventures of Remo Williams, you know, Volume 2 or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But also the fact that they chose to include a cover of that Purple Harem song, A Wire Shade of Pale. Indeed. So I think it's just, this is kind of like, man, I've been hitting the road hard for the last fucking, what, this was released in 04, so 16 years. Yeah. So it might just be taking a step back. But whatever it was, I I kind of pr- said this earlier that I think 1919 might be the best one. This is one of my favorite Black Label Society albums, just because it's so easy to listen to. There's such a variety in the songs. That's like I said to you about Danzig 3 and 4. I think yeah. 3 is the best album, yeah. but I like 4 more. Totally. So, I, yeah, I get that. And again, it's quite listenable. One track goes to the next, and just... Um, I think I'll listen to all, I, I think the ones I'm going to listen to most are probably 1919 Eternal and this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, agreed. Um, I think if you're like, you have somebody that's not a real big fan of metal, but you want to introduce them to this. <laughs> you band. mean our girlfriends and wives? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not Ben's because she's, she's the odd Well, she's a better human than, I guess, uh, us. She's but. not super in the metal. Uh, she has some typo. She's kind like, of I can see her. Yeah. I, can, I can see yours digging metal. But she'd probably like this, right? Yeah, probably. I don't yeah, like, if we were to try and get them to listen to Black Label, this would be how I'd pick. Like, here you go. There's actually some good stuff on here. I yeah. mean, there's good stuff on all of them, but I mean, for people who don't, like, like that cover of the Purple Harem song, Water Shade of Pale, I mean, you can tell that he is fucking feeling that song, because it's somewhere, I mean, it's kind of cheesy, the, the amount of effort that he puts into it, because it's kind of like karaoke night or a lounge singer, but I mean, you can tell that that's really struck a chord with him. And he put a lot of himself into it, which a lot of some people don't when they're doing covers. Yeah, I mean, you really, and that's I think what makes it a good cover is when you actually tell they're feeling it and say it's like, oh, I like the song and do a copy of it. And it's yeah. it's kind of hard. Like, I mean, you don't get a lot of bands doing great covers of other songs. <clears throat> and that kind of what makes it stand out is they really fully buy in on it. Yeah, that's true. And we also get you know. Well, like I said earlier about Zach being really connected to the greater metal world because he does a tribute to Wayne Staley on here, the mm-hmm. Wayne song. Mm-hmm. 
uh, which, you know, the, probably the song that he's most known for, if not stillborn, is In This River, the tribute to Dime. Mm -hmm. I think so, it's In This River, just I think that's more than stillborn. Know, maybe. Because um, it's just, it's so easily acceptable compared to the others. That's fair. Um, but it's a tearjerker. Yeah. Well, totally. Um, so I guess, tracks. For me, this wasn't that kind of an album in an interesting way. Like, I tended to, I put this on, I went beginning to end, and it was just sort of a soundscape experience. Mm -hmm. So, and I listened to this album a lot. I listened to this album the second most, but Woman, I don't, I, there, there are a lot of good songs on here, but to me, it's sort of a single piece, yeah. if that makes any sense. No, more than the other ones, certainly yeah. more than, um, Blessed Hell Ride. Like, when I was listening to this one, I was kind of... And going, like, what songs would I put from, pick through this one? And it's kind of like... I thought about it, too. You kind of go back through it, and I'm like, oh, this one and this one. I'm like, two that, I guess you say, really stuck out would be Crazy or High and Clean and Sorrow. Like, those were two yeah. that really stuck out to me. But it still is, like, trying to, like, which album song would I pick from these to make this concept piece, kind of, like, to encapsulate it. I'd say those two and then House of Doom, maybe Damage is Done. Like, yeah. So there are some stronger tracks on here, but ultimately the whole thing coheres about as well as 1919, mm -hmm. even if it's very different. I will agree with you guys in that I think this is something that you need, and this is something I haven't said in a while, which I used to say a lot, that this is something you need to listen to as an entire album and stay yeah. listening to as tracks. Mm -hmm. um, things that do stick out a little bit to me more I love that you guys haven't already mentioned this I love yesterday today tomorrow yeah that's sure. such a good song uh, the one that if I was going to nitpick and I'll go ahead and nitpick it, to kill you yeah. I mean that it's it's basically him playing a solo on an acoustic guitar and it's impressive as fuck but it's kind of guitar winkery that it seems like a little bit out of place. yeah I agree yeah um, like the America the Beautiful, that's what it showed up on. They probably really encapsulate if the America the Beautiful would have showed up on this album as opposed to 1990. Yeah, yeah but then you won't find it here and it's fine again. Yeah, no, sort of... totally. yeah. yeah. No, it's, it's a, a very brief, because it's not very long, yeah. so it's not incredibly self-indulgent. Um, and it's actually, I think it's funny, because I think that, that America the Beautiful, considering when it came out, I think you're right to point that that was so close to 9-11, and he is a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe New Jersey, but probably considers himself a New Yorker. <laughs> it's the New Jersey, the southern New York, is the south of New York. Yeah, um, but I think he was doing uh, going around playing that in front of ball games and shit like that yeah. too. So I, mean, I can understand why he would put that on there. I mean, you know, the, Opening day at the Mets, kind of deal. Yeah, I think it's a Yankees fan, but sure, whatever. Um, <laughs> so yeah, whereas this is just like, hey, I got this thing that shows off how awesome I am. And I'll record it. Yeah. <laughs> so, eh. which I mean, fuck. Um, Ingwe Momsen has released albums full of that bullshit. So him, I'm not gonna fault Zach for indulging on one song. I'm amazed how little what guitar wankery there is on these albums, yes. given what kind of a guitarist he is. What is I, I expected more, actually. Maybe it's one of the reasons I was like, I don't know if I need to hear like Ingwe Malmsteen with like bigger hair. I don't know. <laughs> but no, it's. He's pretty restrained, actually, most of the time. And you can tell, because then you hear a track like that, and you're like, oh, right. He's yeah, a, well, he totally could do that. He, could, he absolutely could do that. And you'll see that. Like, when I, I um, went and saw them, this was the last concert that I saw before we shut everything down. I went and saw Black Lives I mean, Society. we had talked about that and kind of like... I would have been super pumped now. 
I didn't like when you asked me. I was like, eh, like I just yeah. I just know them that well. Yeah, like when we talked about that concert, like I was interested in hearing one of the bands that came out of them, and like, and we were talking about because I know Kentucky had already been like, we're shutting shit down. Like the week prior to you end up going to that. That's the reason I'm in Kentucky and not Wisconsin right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's. So, <laughs> yeah. it was kind of like surprising. I was kind of like, man, I hope they didn't catch up on this fucking there. Because we talked about it when we did the Testament podcast. Like, they were mm-hmm. one of the last ones to do a live show, and you saw fucking Chuck Billy came down with it and everything. Like, they're trying. You know, they, they lucked out. If they've been lucked out in this situation, the other guys, they uh, unfortunately lucked in on it, you know? Yeah, no, totally. But, I mean, where I was going to go with that was that he does have a point in the show where, like, him and I don't know who the second guitarist in the band is. It used to be Nick and Tessa. It might still be. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but anyway, so they do a thing where, because they have um, wireless connection to the amp, so they're not plugged in. They like went all over the theater and just did like an extended ten minute guitar solo, and it didn't suck. And normally mm-hmm. that would bore off the ass. Now part of that was the fact that they were going all over the place and like showing up on balconies and stuff like that. But there's a lot of guitarists who their album would have been full, filled with that. So David's point about the restraint on this is, yes. is, is very well. Yes. Taken. No, because I that stuff annoys me. Yeah. And there's very little of it on any of these four albums mm-hmm. or the later ones because. I wouldn't be on my homework assignment <laughs> listening to some of the, the <laughs> subsequent albums, yeah. but there's so many of them. He, yeah. In my mind, I was like, oh, he must form, but discography blast must be his entire, no, like a third <laughs> of his catalog. <laughs> he could do like two more of these. Yeah. We got to grade all these things, we sir. We do. Got to. Sonic Brew. Um, I'll go first. Okay. I'm going to give that one. D minus. No. <laughs> I'm going to give it a solid B. Album, it's a solid album overall, but his definitely, his letter works definitely better. You can see kind of where, I think part of the song grew, in a sense, one of its good things is its production values, but also one of the negatives is its production values. Like you get this wall of sound, which helps in some songs, on other songs it kind of distracts from it and kind of hurts. But you also get some of the great bass playing that you kind of is more prominent in some of that aspects because of it. So, I mean, I'm going to give it a solid B. I think I'll go with a B, too. Um, it is quite good. The production is a tiny bit overwhelming. And the problem is I've heard some of the later albums. Because if I just heard this as a one-off, I might rate it a tiny bit higher. But, yeah, I'm going to go with a, a, a high B. I'm going to go just a little bit higher than you two. I'm going to give it a B plus. I almost went there. but Yeah, well, it's just... Man, um, Bored to Tears is so great. Um, and then Smoke in the Wheel, that's got me, I mean, not to get schmaltzy because nobody gives a fuck, but I mean, that's got me through some pretty tragic times in my life. That's sure. such a good song. Yeah. So uh, just what those two songs mean to me personally, I have to, I think that's worth a half a grade. But I, I can see your points on the production values. And uh, I will say I really did enjoy the No More Tears cover. I think that may be yeah, my good. favorite original Aussie song. And so mm-hmm. that hearing that was a nice little twist to it. I like the fact that on that one, not to rehash that, but I like the fact that there are parts of that where he kind of is doing an Aussie, but he doesn't do a straight-up Aussie all the way through it. Yeah. And he actually rearranged it a little bit, too, which I appreciate. All right, 1919 Eternal. I can go first. This one's an A. This album is so fucking good. Uh, To me, as I said, of these four, it's the best one, and the later ones, too. Uh, and, And I, as you know, I almost never give A's the things I don't sort of have history with, which maybe is unfair, but yeah, this album is an A to me. 
I'm gonna give it an A as well. It's just probably their most well done overall album so good. from start to finish, and I think it just kind of highlights everything that they do really well. Again, I'm just going to be slightly higher than you. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give this an A plus because sure. I do think that um, it is their best album. Again, not necessarily my favorite, but their best one from start to finish. And that's probably what the history behind it. That's like what we're. No, it's going to be that way with the Rammstein blast with me. I'm like, well, is the, is the German speaking here? There's a lot of subtleties. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> It, it, if I knew it better, I might give it that. But as yeah. you know, this is literally, I think, the first A I've given to a thing, other than maybe Black Crown Initiate, which is badass. So <laughs> no, something I didn't like have a prior history with. It's yeah. so yeah. good. I wouldn't fight an A plus if the student came and complained. Plus, and hell ride. I can start on that one. I'm going to give that one a B plus. Uh, it's not as good as 1919, but I think it's a little better than Sonic Brew. Yeah, almost an A minus. I mean, it's sort of in that range. And I'm the, one of those annoying professors that gives split grades. But uh, yeah, I'd say a B plus A minus. I'm I if I was to give this a numerical grade, it'd be an A nine point four. That's that's it. That's a B like, plus I'm, A minus. I'm, yeah, I'm not quite. That's sure. what I'm. That's what I'm talking about. It's the if it be you know right at it's if it, it's almost there. But it's not quite. It doesn't cohere, as yeah, we talk about. It has no. a lot of really good single tracks, but it doesn't. It's it's I not agree that it does not cohere as, as good as an album as the other, uh, the ones that we're talking about here do. So I also give it a B plus because when it hits, fucking blessed hell ride is a, a monster. Oh song. yeah. And if it had remained that consistently all the way through, it might be better than nineteen ninety. Agreed. Eternal. But yeah, I think the individual songs are almost better, yeah. like stand out more, but there's not as many of them. Yeah. yeah. Finally, hangover. I will go first with Do that. it. Um, like I said, this is my favorite one. I don't think it's as good as 1919 Eternal from you know opening track to closing track um, as an album, although it does cohere in a way that is stronger than the sum of its parts. So I'm going to give it an A. I don't think it's... And part of that, I guess, is because it's not quite... This is a metal review, and if I'm going to ding some of the stuff that Tracy brings to the table and go, hey, man, that's not metal... You can fucking say that about this album. Um, but this is my Naval Gaze mm-hmm. album, so I'm going to give this an A. I'm going to give this an A- minus for that same reason. I think it's not quite as good as 1919, which I gave an A to. And it isn't really quite metal, but it's also very listenable. So for me, A-. minus. So me and David are going to be 4 for 4 to 9 on the same group. Oh, are we? That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes and we're not, but yeah. I'm going to give it an A- minus as well. This, song, this album's really good. Uh, but I don't have to hang up on not being metal like these guys do. I'm not prude like them and it's fucking metal. But whatever the guy who Neophyte. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's still really well done and it's really solid overall. And I would say probably from this last or two albums at least, maybe a third that I'll put into like my consistent like I'm gonna come back and be checking this album out later on. Well I will say, um, and as much as I though I though I have since covered up the, the Black Label Society tattoo I had with a World War One tattoo, so I think that's appropriate. Um, you should just get nineteen nineteen eternal written on it somewhere and just be I, good I to go. But um, I will say that in my playlist that is just songs that I pull off of tracks, mm-hmm. there are more songs off of Hangover music than there are the ones. So I can see that. Mm-hmm. Can yeah, see it's it good. It was my second favorite of these four. So well, blam! What are we doing next, man? Next, we are doing probably the second most band I've listened to since I turned eighteen, and and which the first one was Car Symmetry. The with them being Trivium with their mm, yes original album Ascendancy, their third album Shogun, the fourth album In Waves, and their seventh album The Sin and Sentence. 
That'll be very interesting because the one that I know the best from them is um, the fourth album. In Waves? No, maybe it's not the fourth album. It's the Crusade. That's their second album. I know nothing. Well, that's their, like a... their second major label. Ember yeah. and Inferno, they released themselves. and Sure. As, and it's a full-length album, but it was indie, indie, independent. And so I kind of... See I, that as like an EP. I know them from like the Smoke and Aces soundtrack, and that's like, yeah. Oh, dude, that's such an underrated movie. I don't even know. That is an underrated movie, and we talked about that a different time. But the a Trivium song, I was like, huh, Trivium. Yeah. So this is going to be as Black Label was new yeah, for me, yeah, yeah. So, which I'm pumped about. So, I, I'm yeah. looking at the soundtrack now to know what song you have on that. Yeah, that's the only Trivium song I've ever really heard. I listened to a tiny bit when you told me it was my homework. Like yeah. Light to Flies? Okay. Yeah, that's a probably. That's out there. Murders happen during that song. Yeah. yeah, it's well. If you know that movie, that's. Yeah. that's uh, I am going to. I'm going to put this in here now on Shogun the special edition. My favorite song is actually on the deluxe so one. Do you want us to do deluxe? Edition? I do on okay. Shogun. I want you to do deluxe. In fact, I think. Which is super deluxe. It's forty tracks. Actually, probably. I'm trying to think. Yes, do deluxe on at least Shogun and In Waves because they also do a Sepultura cover on In Waves that you guys might dig. Uh, I will just do the deluxe on all of them. I probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference if I didn't look them up, and that's probably how it is on my Spotify. Shows. Spotify, I think, has a deluxe anyway, so Spotify. you can't tell a difference. Yeah, and no, I'm I think I'm going to switch away from Spotify, but that's neither here nor there. Well, we will hopefully, <laughs> this all turned out well on good. the editing aspect of it, and hopefully we get a good episode out of it. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to another Discography Blast from here at the Church of Heavy Metal. Oh. Catch you next time. Bam.